Welcome to Generation Tech. I'm Todd Brinker. I am joined as always with my dad, Jack Brinker. We offer perspectives on technology from two different generations. Neither one is guaranteed to be correct and true, but we are definitely tech nerds, and so we'll give you our opinion and talk about stuff that's going on in the world. How you doing, Dad? You going to talk about Shuff? Shuff. Shuff. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's my poor hearing or that's what you really said, but I, I thought know. I said I thought I said stuff, but you know sometimes when you're talking over Skype, <laughs> things get slightly distorted as well. So I I'm going to blame Skype this time, but it may have been me. Who knows? Anyway, <laughs> the imperfections uh, of the technology we use. Yeah, yeah. So, how are you this morning? Not too bad, not too bad. I uh, had a kind of uh, relaxing, lazy weekend, didn't do a whole lot, and uh, uh, watched a little football yesterday. I watched uh, um, uh, Kyler Murray throw a 50-yard in-the-air pass, Hail Mary with seconds left, uh, and uh, hit the one receiver. Yeah, one of uh, four guys. Right. Yeah, Hail four Mary. guys. Only one of them is his teammate, and and uh, you know, I mean, well, he jumped he, higher. He jumped higher. Yeah, DeAndre Hopkins. I mean, this was it was a two. Both of them are responsible <laughs> for making this fantastic play. I mean, Kyler Murray threw that thing. I mean, right. literally, had it been a foot short or long or right or left, one of the other guys would have got it. It was he. He yeah. got it in a very very small window, fifty yards away. And then DeAndre Hopkins timed his jump, and apparently he's got, like, ginormous hands. And so he went up and he locked onto that thing and brought it down and caught that ball. It was like, you know, I I think the Buffalo people were just stunned. It's like, how did he do that? He literally had three guys on him, you know, one on either side and one in front of him. And they were all, when I say on him, touching him. They were pressed up against him as he went up into the air to get this thing. And he's the one of the four who came down with the ball and they win with seconds remaining on the clock. It was just stunning, absolutely stunning. Well, it was two, two seconds, I think, wasn't it? Something yeah, like they that. ended up having two two seconds left on the game <laughs> clock. Uh, yeah, you know, and 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 Murray looked like he was being going to get sacked. I mean, he was like the pocket collapsed, and he had to he got flushed out, ran off to one side, you know, and then to on the run throw the ball, you know, fifty yards in the air. Now. During the game, I don't know if you saw it live during the game or, or when you saw it, but I was watching the game. They actually showed a, a few minutes later, they showed a flashback of somebody else doing the exact same thing in the exact same stadium from almost the exact same spot to win a game, and it was Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers and the right? Packers came in and beat the Arizona Cardinals with seconds left on the clock, a 50-yard pass by Aaron Rodgers. Uh, actually, Aaron Rodgers, was the, his receiver was back. Uh, on the other side of center field, so he actually had to go kind of cross field to get him. Uh, and he's a righty instead of a lefty. Kyler Murray is a lefty, so that was he was throwing to the left side, so that was a more natural throw for him. So Rodgers was even a more phenomenal pass. But it's just amazing to see that they, they showed the other one, and it's like, you see them. He gets pushed, they both got pushed out of the pocket, go off to their left, spin out, and then chuck the ball 50 yards downfield, perfect spiral, right to their guy. I mean, it's like, well, that, wow. That's why they call them Hail Marys. They need the divine assistance there, you know, to make that happen. Wow. 
<laughs> I don't know. That's just a, a lot of talent, you know. And that the, those those amazing surprises come from being really good at what you do and practicing a lot, you know. Yeah. I always liked. Uh, I don't remember which coach was credited with saying it. It might have been um, Lombardi, but uh, it was you know. Uh, Says you know the more we practice and the harder the work, the it's funny, but the luckier I get. <laughs> you know, it's like yeah, yeah, yeah luck. You know, the, those lucky things happen when you're really, really good at what you do. So, uh, and then also this weekend, uh, record-setting golf match. Dustin Johnson wins the Masters with uh, a record low score. Um, just blew everybody out. And so if you're a golf fan, that was also happening this weekend. Odd that the Masters is happening in November. Um, but, you know, it's time of COVID. Strange things happening. So uh, it happened at a weird time of year. But, uh, yeah, he, um, he he won going away. Um, like, I think it was a four-stroke lead. And uh, and in, and never was behind. I mean, he, he was the leader uh, at the end of the first day and remained the leader at the end of every round from uh beginning to end so congratulations to dustin johnson i find i find golf uh more boring than baseball (laughs) yeah yeah i mean baseball's fun at the park but watching it on tv and like golf it's like you know you might as well watch you know paint dry or watch uh you know i always used to joke you know the height of laziness is watching someone else fish uh and that's sort of how i feel about golf you know yeah well you know the way to watch that's just get the highlights, you know, highlights. Are yeah. Perfect. You know, you get to see the good yeah. parts and you skip over all the rest. Yeah. Well, I was going to say the highlight of the masters tournament was during uh, the practice round that they did the day on Wednesday before the match, the tournament started. Um, and I don't remember, I think it was John Rahm, uh, took a shot and hit it down into the water and skipped it three times across the I, water, bounced yeah. it up onto the green and hole then a hole in one. one. Yeah, and you look at yeah. that and you go like, Wow. Again, you know, uh, yeah, how many hours of practice did it take to be able to uh, to do that shot and then get really, really lucky? Uh, yeah. That was pretty funny. But that definitely has got to be the highlight of the week in terms of sports. Um, although yeah. I think that that pass by Kyler Murray, Murray's right up there. So. Yeah. Yep. So, so none of which have anything to do with technology. What, what <laughs> Well, I was going to say, what was the new technology that made all this happen? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, hey, you know, the the reason he was able to do so well in golf is because he has a brand new golf ball that nobody else had. You know, Kyler Murray was throwing a, 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 a football with a brand new glove that nobody else had. And, I, and I'm making this up. I don't, you know, <laughs> I don't yeah. know that for sure. But uh, don't know that. Did you ever think about it? So if you take some of these things that have all kinds of variables in them and you made a robot who should theoretically be able to make the shot more often than a human because it's yeah. more controlled, right? Yeah, you can replicate it exactly, <laughs> and, you know. And what would a robot do? A smart play, the smartest player. Yeah. I'd like to, I'd like to see them have a robot and they move, move them around to the different places on the course and see how well they they can how good they can make one. That'd yeah, how, how well can it can it replicate replicate that shot? I wonder if you just have a robot that you know hits a golf ball from the tee. If you hit the golf ball seventy times, how often does it actually land in the same spot? Yeah, you know, I, there's a lot of variables that aren't aren't involved in in the club or the ball or the impact. You know, 
Yep. A little bit of wind one way or the other changes the, and it doesn't take much, you know, air pressure changes all the time. And a little bit of air pressure change as the ball flies through the air, you know, how big of a significant difference, you know, the butterfly flapping its wings, how much of a difference is there at the other end, right? The only indications that a human has there is what's, what the wind is like right around them or by a flag and it's yeah right. yeah or a tree or a bush or something tree, you can see yeah. that you know yeah. something moving in the wind um you know and i know when it's windier the golfers tend to hit the ball longer and lower as opposed to up high right they want to keep it down uh closer to the ground and they you know they, they change their shots they adjust for the 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 environment but uh but even then even on a perfectly beautiful day when it seems calm there's going to be you know different pockets of air pressure and 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 breeze that can affect a ball in ways that you probably can't anticipate Mm -hmm. that's why they play the game right they don't just just look at the stats they actually play the games because all those little options so so when it comes down to it it's a whole lot of luck well, there's a lot of luck involved in all of it, right? But again, yep. you make good luck by being really, really good at what you do. Practice a lot and take advantage of each situation as it comes up. So, yep. so uh, the Black Friday sales started early this year. Apple Watch, we're talking technology. Apple Watches uh, are regularly about 420 bucks, something like that, 430 bucks. They're on sale right now at Target for 380 for the newest Series 6 watch. And the SE is 229 Mm. So people shopping watches can get deals out there, and this that's last week they that's a, that's the watch, watch SE, SE, yeah, is two twenty nine. It it's essentially like a Series Five watch instead of a Series Six, so it doesn't have the, um, but it's got the Series Six chip in it, but it's got the Series Five capability. So I don't think it has the um, the ECG, and it doesn't have the uh, pulse oximeter built into it. So it, it it's lacking a couple sensors, but it still has a GPS and still does pretty much everything else. So, um, so they invent, so they created this to get rid of the the uh, stuff they produced already that was otherwise waste, right? Well, no, like I said, it has the it has the most current uh, CPU in it. So it's it's not like you know like historically what they did was they would just sell last year's watch at a discount, right? Which was sort of what like that. It's like yeah, let's get rid of the leftovers. But this one, but, it's, you know, it's basically this year's watch minus a few sensors so that they could sell it cheaper. It, it could be that they just had flawed sensors, too. You know, maybe that's how they came off the oh, line. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That well, and they do that a lot. Like the, the uh, MacBook Air, the low-end MacBook Air has 7-core GPU instead of an 8-core GPU. And most people are uh, of the opinion that that was just because... When they started making the GPUs, a bunch of them came off the line and only seven of the eight cores worked because it's hard to make things that are that small that work perfectly, especially early on in the production line. And so they just said, well, fine, then we will spec the the entry-level machine with seven instead of with eight. And that way, you know, it's fine. And, it, and if you run out of one, when you get the production to the point where all eight work, you disable one of them. And, t- and then eventually you just discontinue that machine and say, well, they all have eight now. So, by the way, I used to develop and, and manage uh, programs uh, for uh, chip development, large-scale integrated circuits and stuff at, at yep. four different uh, uh, cap- uh, companies: Texas Instruments, Harris. Uh, I can't remember the other ones, but they, they were 
they're, they're all gone now. They, they were all exclusively in the uh, military parts business, which is a smaller mm -hmm. operation than commercial ones at the time. And the one thing I do recall about uh, flawed parts was when I first started managing the programs, uh, flaws were really infrequent, and they just trashed them. I mean, you know, of course, we didn't have big, big production volumes either, but percentage-wise, I mean, they were really small. So they just trashed them. But by the time, after maybe, a, I don't remember, four or five years of, of doing doing that work before I retired or whatever, and it, it finally became the, uh, the technology in building parts kept getting to be smaller and smaller, nothing compared to today's parts. Right. But you could. They, they started now making curves on the, the more density and the probability of of uh, errors, you know, flaws in the in the chips. And I'd love to see that curve today, and see how it's gone. But I bet you it's mm -hmm. on a parabolic curve, and so they have yeah. lots and lots of bad parts, and that's why yeah. that's becoming a bigger deal, you know. Yeah, well, the yield on production. Say you're gonna say you you plan to run your factory and create a hundred thousand of a certain type of chip. There's always going to be a percentage of those that when you when they come off the line, you test them and they fail, right? But how they fail right. uh, allows them to create what they call the the bin bucket type of production system, where if you you're making something that's supposed to have eight processors in it, and you get some that only have three working processors, and you go, that's not enough. We throw those away. But the ones that have six or seven will sell as a six processor chip and a seven processor chip. And the ones that have all eight will call as an eight processor chip. And how much of each you're able to make has a lot to do with how you end up pricing them, right? Based on yeah. the, the amount of production yeah. and amount of waste that you end up having. And people don't think about that. But the difference between uh, some of the chips that you have in your computers is simply... You know, the, the same chip came off the same production line. This one just didn't have everything working in it, so we'll sell it as a lesser chip. So, yeah. a little um, bit about the production process. Uh, first of all, there are a lot of dies. That's the individual component that ultimately gets encapsulated in a much larger phys physical part that has pinouts or right. whatever, so you attach yeah. it to a motherboard. Uh, but then today, a lot of most uh, uh, complex systems. Uh, they they don't even put them in. They don't encapsulate them unless for environmental reasons. Uh, in the world that I was in, the encapsulation also provided shielding for the part. Uh, and uh, but anyway, uh, they there are uh, wafers which are round pieces of silicon or whatever your substrate is uh, that have, uh, depending on uh, of course the component size lots and lots of these little chips on one wafer and wafers in those days were six or seven inches uh, they, that's probably uh, hasn't grown much because there's a lot of issues with having that wafer being really flat uh, mm -hmm. in order to make good parts but uh, nevertheless you they're putting thousands more parts on that wafer today than they used to when I was there uh, because each each chip that you ultimately and these are sliced up and it's like glass it's broken so that uh, there's even some loss there because the silicon or whatever the substrate was doesn't always uh, break exactly perfectly so uh, yeah there's there's losses all along the way but uh, 
I can't imagine what the technology, I've just had a lot looked into it, but it's probably online, how many, uh, what wafer sizes there are and how many chips you get out of a, a particular wafer. But uh, uh, the, the testing starts before you ever encapsulate the, the part. There's all kinds of pinouts on the edge of the little, these little chips so that a test tester head comes down on that chip and aligns to the pins so that, that the parts are all tested before you ever encapsulate them because that's another more expensive process. And so you know almost from uh, uh, the, the final, that actually the, I'm, when I'm saying chip, I'm saying the wrong, using the wrong word. It's a die, which is a, a, the cutout part that comes off the wafer. So each die is tested and uh, uh, verified in all kinds of ways. That's a real extensive test and it's all automated and very sophisticated because not only do you want to fil filter out the bad components, you also want to, to uh, verify the performance because the performance between different wafers sometimes varies and they, they want to be sure it's within certain tolerances. Uh, and sometimes those dye tests are even put into an environment where there's uh, thermal tests as well uh, conduct and what the, that Im how it impacts the performance of the part. So it, that's, a, that's a strange world that exists out there and not too many people get involved but it was fascinating whenever I would uh, uh, was involved in the, developing those things to uh, hear the briefings and all about you know how well we're doing because all of this boils down to dollars what do you pay for the final production uh, cost of each uh, component that your unit uh, whatever unit level you're buying at uh, mm -hmm. And, and uh, in in my case, we were get very specialized chips, so they were always more expensive than any commercial parts. Uh, but it, and it was incredible the amount of dollars that we would spend. These are government tax dollars because I was working for the government, the Air Force, and uh, and we're spending taxpayer dollars. So uh, you know, you, the the better you can do, the the more you. Uh, systems and you can build and because cost was always a big issue with defense parts but but they were the uh, kind of the lead technology in the in the business at least at that time uh, in s several ways uh, mostly environmentally but uh, of course commercial parts have such are built in such quantity that they have uh, uh, characteristics that that lead the development of, of small specialized parts, particularly because they're building so so many of them. The cost there is important too. So that's that's why uh, companies like Apple want to build their own. The, the, the parts that uh, that they bought from Intel and other companies, uh, you know, whether they're uh, uh, the actual compu computing component or whatever, has a heck of a margin on it. That's that's how those companies make their business. Intel, that's uh, almost you know 80% of their their total business. I know they're in a lot of other uh, subsystem businesses too, and they support some small scale uh, types of uh, components. But uh, it's like every company; they got to have some diversity so that if they lose 
some of their large customers like an apple <laughs> they don't drown you know instantly and of course uh, just because of the nature of the business uh, that Intel's been in for years they're even losing Apple doesn't mean they've lost everything because there's still a lot of uh, non-Apple computers out there that's going to be around for a long time so uh, anyway just thought I would dive, divert our talk a little bit to some, something that I enjoyed working on for a period of my life that uh, mm -hmm. thought might be interesting to people who don't even think about those kinds of things because it's, you know you just look at what you got and what it does for you you know don't yeah. need to dig deeper. As I say, you don't need to know how the engine works in order to drive a car, right? <laughs> right. But it's it's also interesting sometimes to see some of the, how how some of the decision making is made in in why it works a certain way or doesn't work another way and, and a lot of that has to do with as you said, the costs of production on things and the amount of waste in the production process. And those kind of things evolve too. It's like when they first start making a chip, there's going to be a higher uh, uh, amount of things that fail and end up being used, you know, bin to parts that will maybe be put into the less lesser processor bin because they have less processors working on it or lesser parts working on it. And then over time, that's going to shift. They'll be making more and more of them error-free. And that's why the prices come down on the higher-end ones because they're able to make them with less errors and, uh, uh, you know, and sometimes even shifting production uh, to... You know, slightly different uh, production lines and things. Yeah. So, so it's all managed, but it, everything comes down to the dollars and cents, right? It's like, well, what makes sense for the company who's doing it? You know, yeah. better. Yeah. Better to control your own destiny than to be at the uh, uh, beck and call of a company making parts for you. So. Um, yeah. I. The other thing I found interesting in reading recently about the uh, the development of the new Apple Silicon, uh, and, and you saw some of it in the Apple presentation, is how the software guys uh, got involved a lot in the hardware design, and that's a that's a very important thing. Uh, ultimately, uh, they're complementary, and uh, the better. There's certain things you look for in software, and there's certain other things you look for in hardware, and you try to make compromises that that give them best opportunity for both sides. Yeah. Uh, but ultimately, everybody realizes that what what today is is in software, very often, uh, if it's uh, used in volume, uh, migrates its its way into hardware, so that you uh, you have hardware support for those particular functions that you developed uh, or were at least originally in software mm -hmm. uh, so so that's yeah. well you why, gain efficiency you know, by doing that so yeah that, that's why you know they talk about systems on a chip well systems is really that fundamental component computer that used to be a sort of a standalone thing and had interfaces to sometimes even external boxes is now uh, a set of uh, functional units that all get integrated together into a particular part that uh, that becomes part of your uh, that's identifiable at least by looking at it on your if you were to look inside the guts of your computer or phone or whatever yeah so 
Just yeah, well, that, that M1 has 16 billion transistors on it now. That's the chip that's in the new Max. And within that, that system on a chip, they have the CPUs, which is what we tr- traditionally think of as the computer. Uh, they've got cache memory. They've got their dynamic memory. They've got the GPU. They've got a neural engine. Uh, as well as other pieces that are actually built into the the chip itself, so that it's no longer just a CPU, and then you add other parts and pieces from other uh, other boards and chips in your computer. I mean, it's literally a system on a chip. You know, they've got uh, a variety of different types of processors, and as you said, the hardware has been fine tuned to do specific things. And so, there are processors that do. Um, certain things faster, certain types of calculations faster than just a generic processor. And by doing that, they're able to have uh, huge gains in in productivity of the overall computer that you and I sit down and, you know, type on our lap. Yeah, so. by, by the way, did, did you happen to notice that IBM has recently announced that they can build or have built an optical computer? Um, yeah, that's one of those things they've been talking about. between uh, the optical computers and uh, and um, um, what's the other one that they've been playing around with? Um, like I'm blanking on the, the there's another type that oh quantum computers is the other thing that they've been yeah. talking about for a long time in terms of and they've got you know both of them sort of working but not in a practical sense not something that's going to be on your laptop anytime soon. But, well, well uh, the, the the primary benefit. Is, is extreme speed. I'm talking orders of magnitude over uh, the, uh, the traditional way of, of developing uh, yeah. se- semiconductor technology. Let's, let's use that right. word because that's yeah. really Yeah, well, and, and what that, that, the, that, that scares a lot of people because a lot of our encryption at this time is based on the premise that you know, you're making something so, uh, so complex that a, an existing computer cannot do the do the work to figure it out and so you're just you know encryption is essentially complexity and if you get super super fast computers that are like you said orders of magnitude faster now encryption's no longer working for us at least exactly. the current level of con- current level of exactly. encryption yeah so that puts so, a lot of fear into yeah, people's so, so as time goes <laughs> hearts on, and minds that were made in the past uh, about security and all of this uh, now, now there are other things other than just speed, by the way, involved in, in uh, encryption, uh, and and so there are ways to overcome the speed issue. It's not exclusively speed. No, uh, it's just an assumption. Whenever that. you're doing, whenever you're doing any kind of encryption, you start with an assumption, and and you know one of the assumptions that has been traditionally is uh, done is that if you have sufficient complexity, that a computer can't solve it within a period of time. You know, that it would take right. X number of years for a computer to do. That's one assumption. There's other ways to, there's other assumptions you can base your encryption on. So, but right. that, you know, that's just one assumption that, that a lot of the encryption that you and I use on our computers today is based on. And that clearly just based, you know, if you, like you said, if you're looking forward at quantum computing and, and um, uh, uh, you know, optical computing, that won't be a viable assumption going forward yeah yeah or anything that's reduced to a number of tries to get the right code are basically uh being endangered 
okay? If, yeah. If, if you have combination, any kind of a combination lock, combination locks have limited life, especially if they're non, if they're digital, and that means passwords and all of that. Yeah. Because they're all yeah. combinations and they're digital, so those kinds of things are not adequate protections. And so what that really means in the long run is companies like Apple, who really stress their security, have to put biology into this thing so that their sensors of your body, bodily characteristics are a part of the encryption process. Okay? So, well, because that's another that assumption. That's just a different way of, of creating your, your encryption, right? Right. But it's, an, it's becoming an essential one. You know, if, if at any time you have passwords out there that, are, that you're trying to protect something against, uh, you'll no longer be able to do that if it's digitally uh, right. controllable. Of course, the other thing that overcomes these trial systems and speed of all of this is, uh, in fact, the complexity of slowing it down. You can't enter the numbers more than a certain at a certain rate, okay, so you can put constraints on the system that detects these uh, trials, and so it takes, it, it, it extends the time, if you will. Right, so, yeah, yeah, after X number of failed attempts, then you're not allowed to try again for a period of time, and that time continues to increase over time as you continue to have failed attempts. So, yeah. um, so, th so yeah. there's, there's workarounds for all of these kinds of things that, that uh, add, as you said, to complexity in a general sense. So, anyway, uh, now that we've solved the world's problems and understanding that there's a threat out there to certain types of security, the assumptions will have to change for those people who right. are trying to build in the protections. Uh, I wish I had uh, saved the article. I was reading an article this weekend about um, a... Uh, mathematical d discovery or or uh, proof that has just was just recently made that will have fairly profound effect on this stuff in that you can essentially and I'm I'm going to summarize because I can't find the article and I can't remember the exact terminology that was used to help me do a search to find the article I should have should have tagged it and set it aside that's my bad but it essentially said that there's been a mathematical proof that they can now essentially create a, a fully obfuscated uh, um, uh, system that sort of is kind of it kind of becomes a black box so that you can't see what's inside of it in terms of the way the code is written, and it had to do with a a, uh, a theory that that up to this point had been unproved, and a group of uh, three uh, mathematicians from two different colleges have have done some work to show that it, uh, and they published it just published a paper saying that, that, yes, indeed, it can be done, and as a result, um, it will make encryption significantly better. Um, because part of part of what people don't realize, too, is when you go to break encryption, very often they don't even have to break the encryption. All they have to do is guess your password, and passwords are usually so bad that that's not, <laughs> it's not a hard thing to break, you know. It's like, no, I don't have to crack the password, the, the encryption. I just have to know that your dog's name is Fifi. And, and I can and I can and I can get into everything you own, right? Um, right. So, I uh, yeah. just not too long ago actually started. I've had it for a while, but I started really using a password manager, and went and changed my password on virtually all of my accounts to a 
uh, system generated uh, many digit random number random number word letter uh, character generator that was generated by the uh, software the password management software so I remember one password to get into my password manager and then it remembers the passwords to all the stuff that I have although I ran into a problem you know these password managers they say they work great with you know you can get one that works on your phone works on Windows works on Mac so okay good I can have it everywhere except I do a lot of watching of uh, television stuff, streaming things on my Apple TV. It doesn't work there. So on my Apple TV, if I want to log into my Netflix account, I can't have a you know 25 random digit number that I have to remember or go look at and type in. Because some of these things, uh, I don't know about your experience, and I don't know how much you watch streaming TV, but it seems to me that uh, you know between the uh, half dozen or so streaming things that I watch, at least one of them once a month asks me to log in again to verify that I'm really me. And a 25 character random string of letters and it's too much. And so I did, I did a little um, calculation in my head and said, you know, what's the risk of somebody getting that password? They can watch my Netflix account for a little while until I change it. Okay. I don't care. And so, and so, exactly. um, you know, so the, the, I figured, you know, the, the streaming TV things are pretty, pretty low risk. I don't care if they have an easy password. I want something I can type in quickly from a remote or speak into my remote and get in quickly. Yeah. You know, that's, uh, there's a lot of things associated with operating machinery these days, whether it's an iPad or iPhone or whatever, uh, that people need to consider, think about when they, uh, you know, sign up, uh, most of them are, like you say, are passwords. Number one thing in my mind always is, what is the reason that I care about security on some of these accounts? Do Is there really a significant damage to me? Uh, or is there no damage to me? It's only to the company. Am I trying to protect the company or they're trying to protect themselves? And that's why they make you log in. And if they if you're protecting just the companies that you're dealing with if, i'm sure there are a lot of people like me who say i want the simplest damn thing i can get away with given their their security rules yeah and so those are extremely simple passwords and if somebody's going to try them i don't give a damn you know as long as that they can't spend my money just by logging in you know if all they got to yeah. do is log in to look at some catalog of stuff you know that's fine mm-hmm. uh, so, yeah because you log you know, in I, i'm using netflix as an example but it's the same with disney plus and with you know amazon prime and stuff you log in i you can't see the credit card number that's paid for you see like the last couple digits of it and the rest of it's blanked out and you can put a new one in so if they want to go in and put a new way to pay for my thing in that's not my way and they're going to pay for my my system more power to them um I guess the only thing that would be frustrating is if they logged in and changed the password so that I couldn't log in. Then I would have no. I would have to go cancel the payment, and so that would be a pain if they were to do that, right? If somebody were to log into your account, change the password so that you can't log into your password, and so eventually the system says, "Hey, wait a minute, you need to log in again," and then you can't log in because they changed the password. That would be yeah. irritating. But anyway, what I what I was kind of trying to lead up to my sort of summary on this whole thing is what do you care about most 
uh, protecting that that you. Okay. Yeah. Uh, num- number one is it's financial. Anything financial require from your standpoint, your own standpoint, uh, you do the best you can. Okay. And and uh, that means long passwords and multiple kinds of characters, and it doesn't read like a novel, you know. Yeah. Uh, and and so. Uh, uh, and probably the next one might just be personal information uh, like I mean and, and there's, there's certain classes of personal information don't don't ever use your social security number or things that people can use to absolutely identify you uh, it, you, you really can't uh, hide some things that you need to use because you want people to know your some people to know your address and some people to know your email, and some people to know your uh, 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 phone number, but uh, you don't want that generally known. So it's it's important that it, it all of those be protected because uh, your systems get totally destroyed. In fact, today I'm really frustrated that every kind of communication that I have has so much junk because the public has found it out. My email address, you know, it used to be just email. Email got mm-hmm. all kinds of spam, and that's where the word yeah. first started. But I'll tell you, phone numbers are spam today because they have texting associated with them. You well, know? even even the calls, even before there was texting, yeah. I get most of the calls I get on my phone are not people I know. They're marketing people. And even though I'm on the do not call list, I get those kind of calls all the time. And so I, if, if somebody's not in my in my uh, contacts list and a phone call comes up, I don't answer the phone. I figure, you know, if it's somebody who actually wants to talk to me and has something that relevant to say, they'll leave a message and I'll call them back. If, but most of the time it's, it's, and, and during the, this political season, I can't believe the number of calls and texts I got from people who I don't know, but they'd always put it in some sort of familiar sense, right? Like, Hey Todd, you know, we were, so they know my name. Uh, remember when we were talking about, uh, so-and-so, well, I think that he said you should be voting this way on this or that way on that. And I'm like, Oh man, just leave me alone. You know that. And I keep getting these calls. I I have gotten in the last month, probably 50 or more calls from a company, um, pitching, um, Oh, they always say, uh, your, your, uh, cars extended warranty is about to expire. It was like my car is twenty years old. I haven't had an extended warranty on it ever. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and they so, wouldn't sell me one. It's a twenty-year-old car, you know. But oh man, and they always, like I said, they always try to do it in a familiar way. Hey, when we talked the other day, you said you were interested in, as if I'm so busy right. that I don't remember That's not that. talking to this person. You know, yeah. I didn't talk to anybody the other day. You're a liar. Well, let me tell you the other thing is when when you have a bunch of kids like I do and grandkids and whatever. I get mail for several of my kids and grandkids. I mean, I'll get probably the most often, I haven't told Tobin this, but I'll have somebody's thinks they're talking to Tobin when they talk uh-huh. to me. I, I used to forward those to Tobin, got tired of it. I got so many of them anymore, I just blank them out, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, at one time he was a politician and lived a very public life. Um, you know, yeah. now he's a school teacher and he's not even on the radio anymore. Uh, so he he should you would think get less but but he has a very public life on facebook too 
and still yeah. talks a lot about politics, which is something that gets a lot of heated um, conversations going, shall we say. And, right. uh, you know, so, yeah. But uh, but it's weird that they, they find you. Somehow there must be some association between you and he. And they think, yeah, I don't, yeah, yeah, you know, I don't know. I don't, I don't know how it happened, but it, it happens. And, uh, so I, I, I tell you, I've, I've thought about, I'm, I'm, uh, I've had my phone number way too long and I'm just about ready to cancel my phone number. And unless you, I give you a call or said, send you my phone number or something, you won't be able to get in touch with me. I'm, I'm just yeah. about ready to say before I ever care about a new phone. I got to have a number that's clean again. Yeah. Now I don't know how, whether the phone company can guarantee anything is clean because well they, they can't because my, exactly you so know? you may just get somebody else's junk calls. So so I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, and these auto dialers when they set them up they set them up for just a range of phone numbers. Right. There's always the random calls. Yeah, I so worked anyway, in a company where we had an auto dialer, and I know how that works. <laughs> I don't know what the way out of this is. Uh, somehow, I think it always has. It needs to come down to the fact that uh, the, somehow it's got to be uh, uh, kind of like a picture, you know. If somebody doesn't have my photo or something that looks like me, that they can't call me or something like that. Yeah. I, I don't know. Except There's that you can get pictures of you yes. anywhere on the internet. You know, you put a, you put them out there on Facebook. You you gave no, pictures of you to the world, so. <laughs> well, they don't they don't have my fingerprints or other things like that. Yeah, so thank goodness. So somewhere along the way, uh, all of these communication systems are getting so contaminated that they'll be, they're going to become useless. I mean, it's in the yeah. phone company's best interest to come up with something, not just the phone company, but the email companies. Well, the tech companies, and, the messaging companies, you know, the apples of the yeah. world, the Facebooks of the world, they have a real problem that hasn't been addressed. And it's just the amount of garbage that we're inundated with. Uh, yeah. and, and everybody at some point says, you know, you'll go onto a new system and you'll be, hey, I like this. And, you know, but it, it just slowly starts filling up to the point where you go like, okay, I have to de- delete my account and start over, you know, and I'll only give my name to those who I care to talk to, you know. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I've even thought about, you know, the most extreme thing would be to just start over and change your entire identity. Yeah. The thing is, you know, the companies would still know who you are because they've got tracking that will follow through. But you could absolutely go and change, you know, uh, know, just abandon the Facebook account you have and make a new one. Abandon the Instagram account. Abandon the, you know, uh, change your email address. Change, I mean, get a new phone number. You could do all that stuff and do it all simultaneously. And you'd probably be, you know. Probably last maybe a month, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You'd be left alone by a few people. But, I mean. The fact of the matter is a lot of that junk is going to continue to, to hammer you, you know. I don't know if there's a way. The way to do it is don't do Facebook. Don't do Instagram, you know. I don't do Facebook. You know? well, well, I, well, I know, but, you know, carry that to it. It's extreme, and you just, just as well go back to no communication, right? <laughs> I don't think living without Facebook is no communication. I'm getting by just fine. Yeah. <laughs> I don't need or use or care about Facebook in the least. In fact, I think they're an evil company run by by people who, who think little of human beings, and I would not do anything with Facebook in any way, shape, or form. Uh, but that's me. Well, 
you know, I, I think that all I wanted, I would want to do would be, uh, could could easily be handled by the uh, uh, a more secure system like Apple's messaging system, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, at least at least that's secure compared to uh, to normal email. Uh, and but the problem I think is there's something very attractive at the very root core of many many people about being able to stand on a hill and shout out their opinions so that the world hears what they're saying and then listen to everybody <laughs> bark back at them and say, "Oh, you're right" or "Oh, you're wrong." And, and there's something very attractive about that, and that's why people do it. And that's why Facebook is so successful, because people love to be able to publicly say, I say this, and then watch what happens, and deal with everybody who reacts to it. It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's power. It's, the it's power. very addictive. Yeah, yeah. it's addictive. Being able you know, to it, talk to a lot of people at once, right? Very self-gratifying to say something and then watch people react to it, you know? And, and so it, it, it inspires, uh, you know, bad behavior and bad language because, or, or, you know, because that gets reactions from people, um, yeah. you know, even if it's something you firmly believe, you know, it's, it's something that gets reactions from people. I just, I, I don't find it appealing at, at all. And so I just, I live without it, but, um, but, you know, I have more power to those who do it. You know, you can spend your time how you want, right? I mean, that's 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 what America is all about. You go do that. <laughs> so, hey, I found the article that I was looking for. I sent you a link to it. the The topic that I was looking at was called indistinguishability obfuscation (I.O.). And uh, apparently, a, a couple, a graduate student from the University of uh, California at Los Angeles, UCLA, um, and and it's a cryptographic tool that he and his colleagues have developed, and apparently um, it was something that mathematically a lot of people had said that it was um, that they didn't think it was possible because every, previous attempts had failed, and apparently this this small group has now um, uh, figured it out, and so um, it will add it, it's it's pretty technical conversation about the nitty-gritty i mean it's it's written in a non-technical way but it's just you you know understanding what's going on i would say you know read the article and we could talk about it at some point or but even then most people listening would probably other eyes would glass over but uh interesting ideas you know because i mean essentially all crypto crypt, crypt cryptographic work all um uh types of encryption boil down to mathematics of one kind yeah. or another. Oh, yeah. And so yep. when you get those people who are complete math nerds, they can do the nitty gritty of finding out ways to, uh, to, you know, use mathematics to, to, you know, obfuscate things and to, uh, to, uh, you know, hide things in the, in the mass O, O data that's on a computer. Um, you know, it's it's always a cat and mouse game, though, right? There are the mathematicians yeah. working to hide it, and then the other mathematicians working to unhide it. <laughs> yeah, I love I, I love their last paragraph. See, that's why I go to these stories and I say it says the road from a theoretical breakthrough to a practical protocol can be a long one. <laughs> that says it right there, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's absolutely the truth, right? It is. It is. Yeah. 
and 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 it can you know you can prove a lot of things but then when you try to uh, implement them then that's when you start uh, finding difficulties with it yeah so, in fact uh, there there are a lot of things who, that never make it to what you call daylight in the sense of of invention uh, that a lot of people aren't aware of uh, a lot of great ideas that really sound wonderful on paper uh, and you can be sold on it real easily uh, so it's it's nice to theorize I love that you know it's dreaming and and wondering about the future but the best thing that we do is to detect a need a anybody's need that not just a few people's need but lots of people's need but they just haven't recognized it and then you get to the jobs kind of people the guys who have a general uh, way of looking at the whole universe of ideas out there and saying mm -hmm. that's an idea that's that a lot of people need this and I'm going to build it yeah you know? well there's you know there's a lot of different skill sets involved right you need these theoretical physicists and mathematicians and stuff to say hey here's a breakthrough on the way things could be done but then you also need that guy who's the I'm going to build something with that that's actually practical right because the theory yeah. does you no good when it's sitting on a, on a paper, you know, that somebody wrote sitting on a shelf. But the guy who says, hey, wait a minute, I heard about this. And if we applied it this way, this could be really cool. And then they actually go make something that from that. And uh, and then you have something that people can actually benefit from. Uh, you know, the theories are great. And, and as you said, a lot of those theories turn out to when you go to try to make something from them, turn out to be incredibly impractical. You can't actually do anything with it. Right. Yep. So it's like, yeah, that's great. Yep. It's a great theory. It works terrifically, well, but it's not. There's no practical application for it. Well, well, very often what happens in in the practical world is the technology just isn't there to do it yet. So True. that's why you'll see something that that people have long time said they wanted to do, but it, maybe ten years later, will the breakthrough will come that enables those ideas to be drug out of the closet and finally implemented, you know? And uh, and that's an exciting time to be around, you know? And and I think everybody realized that, uh, let's just say, here, here's a simple example. The user interface that we have on screens all depended on the ability to touch places on that screen with a finger and, and have the electronics recognize that you touched there. That's at the that's at its simplest, and that was basically a capacitance effect. Okay, mm -hmm. for people who don't know what that is, that's like an electronic component, and uh, but anyway, it became a way of of building uh, glass user interfaces so that you could see something, and you could point to something by touching it, and uh, and because of it, where you touched it mattered, so that there's like you got mm -hmm. a whole. Yeah, it's a grid. Full of, full of, yeah, the whole grid of places to touch. And uh, therefore, you can do different things. There's a million little buttons in front of you as well as a display screen. And that was a tremendous breakthrough. That's that's what enabled the iPhone. And, and it, it suddenly, I mean suddenly, within uh, a week of that, Palm Pilot, who had ruled the world in terms of having all these buttons all over the, uh, below the screen, uh, recognized that, their whole business was threatened by the iPhone. Yeah, which is ironic because the Palm Pilot launched with no buttons at all. 
yeah. you used a little stylus to 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 write in the graffiti variation of printing, and that's that was your text input. They added buttons exactly. later to copy. That was an innovation done by the BlackBerry people. Yep, yep. But but the, the, there's a big difference between doing it with your hands and not having to worry about a stylus. Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think that was a, a huge innovation. The original um, uh, Palm Pilots also weren't capacitive touch. They were um, they used a uh, pressure. a pressure. pressure sensitive thing, and so they had basically two two layers parallel to each other. When you pressed one down to touch the other, it made a connection physically. Right. Which also meant that it was less durable because it was essentially just a big switch. But uh, yeah, there's amazing things that goes on, you know, go goes on like the, um, you know, I'm looking at uh, Apple's um, uh, M1 core that they, they broke it out on a slide in their show about the stuff that's built into that. Why, you know, what's integrated into it in addition to the the high performance GPU and CPU. You know, they've got an advanced display engine and uh, uh, advanced power management of uh, high bandwidth caches. They have a cryptograph. Uh, cryptography accelerations so they have a special cpu designed to manage cryptography built into that single m1 chip and that's what manages the the um uh processing that goes through how things are written out to the to the storage uh, on the thing and they're all encoded and that encoding is based on your face and or your fingerprint and so um you know, they have a special CPU that does that. And I can imagine at some point that you end up with a hybrid CPU where maybe the cryptography is done by an optical machine so that it's, you know, adds that complexity uh, and that speed to that piece while the rest of the CPU is more of a standard CPU. Um, yeah. You know, so you'll end up with hybrid type of things at some point probably too. Um, you know, but they've got... Uh, you know, unified memory, which is an architectural thing that does things differently than than PCs as we know them uh, currently as well. So yeah, you know, uh, it's interesting to me how little different uh, parts of my career uh, connected in some very strange ways. And what I really wanted to tell you about is uh, we're talking about some bio measurement sensors here uh, with. Uh, iPads and phones and whatever, uh, mm -hmm. but back in the day, uh, my first one of my big jobs was I was a physical security officer on on uh, missile systems. Right, and that meant I had to worry about people breaking into uh, secure areas and, and all kinds of things. And uh, there are a lot of sensors that I can tell you about that have no relationship to computers here. But one of the things that I learned uh, very uh, well up front is that the more diff totally different, and, and I should say perpendicular technologies, and I don't know if I could describe what that really means, but it means it doesn't use the same type of, of, uh, of uh, it doesn't measure the same yeah, I think rather than perpendicular, you would say parallel technologies, right? So different ways well, of measuring things, uh, and different things get measured that all come together to no. give you a better picture of, of well, very access? Well, very often par parallel technology sort of means that you are looking at something in the same light, whereas perpendicular is it's crosswise to it. And so you look for intersections of 
of different uh, physical phenomena, and uh, mm -hmm. uh, there were some some phenomenal sensors. And I, I'll just because I thought they're fascinating, or think they're fascinating, I think you will too. One, for example, was a uh, a system that would marry that would measure water in the vicinity of the sensor, and the human body is made of, you know, about 95% water. Mm -hmm. And so therefore, if there's any human, but of course you have to say animal as well, because they're also made of water, and so are little, little animals. Uh, although fortunately, things like spiders and stuff don't have enough water to make it measurable even. Yeah, it just it depends, depends on, on the, the sensitivity but, of the sensor, right? Yeah, but... but this was kind of neat. We could actually weigh the, the the animal or the mammal or whatever it was that came through a certain area uh, using this technology, and it was and then make your decision as to whether or not it's a threat. Okay, so below a below a certain size mammal, you'd say, well, gee, that's not can't be a threat that I care about, right? And if it's more than that, you'd say, well. That's probably a, a cow or something, you know. Mm -hmm. Not, you know, and and also uh, you, by looking at it in different uh, positions, the the physical dimensions, uh, you could say how much was closer to this spot than that spot. Okay, so you you could see a profile of an animal or a person, and mm -hmm. so you make all kinds of distinctions as to what was in the area without ever seeing them. These weren't cameras. These were just another sensor. You say, well, why not use a camera? Well, there's ways to fool cameras. You know, you can put any kind of image out there uh, that uh, that you want, uh, and sometimes a camera will be fooled by what they see. You know? Yeah. So, anyway... It's that's, funny, too, uh, that kind of stuff that's developed for the military ends up sometimes in in uh, having practical uh, applications for people in their homes too because you can now buy uh, smart sensors that you can put underneath your sink and they don't have to be in a puddle. They can actually detect if water is in the vicinity of the sensor and and notify you so that you can have like in your smart home if you wanted to have a, a sensor under you, especially if you live somewhere where like you've got uh, where pipes can freeze and maybe you're going to go travel. Granted, these days, not people people aren't traveling as much, but you know you would hate to have a pipe burst and then have your house flooded without anybody knowing about it till you got back, and so they, you've got sensors that use, uh, I would guess, probably very similar types of technology that are now you know on a chip instead of you know bigger than they used to be, and you can yeah. set that up and, and tie it into your smart home and get notified if there's water on the floor. Yeah. Now, now I would kind of like to get back to summarize where I was headed with this talking about mm -hmm. uh, water sensors. Uh, there are uh, probably pages of lists of different kinds of sensors of things, and mm -hmm. some of them sound real close. I mean, when you and you you categorize them by uh, their characteristics and what they actually measure, and you put all these things together, and then you put them with a cost. Okay, because they each cost so much to implement, and uh, then you have to make a decision that, given your certain budget, how good of, can your detection system be? And the system being multiple sensors, you never go out with single sensors on a, especially if you're protecting nuke weapons. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't even you don't even stop at three. Uh, sure. And but three seems to be kind of like the minimum that people want if they can have it, if they can afford them, you know. But mm-hmm. uh, the the more the better when you if you want certainty as to what you're seeing. And I don't mean seeing in the literal sense. I mean, if you want to be certain of the Detecting. data that you're getting, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. So, uh, anyway, security is that way wherever you are. If you really want to talk about uh, knowing what's going on, if you have if you have the opportunity in a certain area to build and locate different kinds of technolo- technolo- technological based sensors. Uh, mm-hmm. You, you, you have to end up making a choice. And uh, I enjoyed that process immensely. We, we uh, yeah. tested a lot of devices to be sure that even though they were sort of early technology, that, that they were practical and we could implement them. Sure. Uh, how long were they going to last? You know, all of those right. characteristics. Well, and, and, and sometimes you look at different technologies too, right? I mean, there can be sonic detectors. There can be laser detectors. Both of them might do the sort of the same thing. You might say, I want some of each because, you know, they fail differently in different situations. And so you want to make sure that you get good information, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The, the, last, the list of sensors, as I said, is extremely long. And then so you need to start a fil- filtering down uh, to decide what it is you really have. Uh, you mentioned sonic. That's uh, sounds of any kind. Right. Uh, real, real good thing. And it's a very common sensor and fairly yeah. expensive. Yeah, you know? and and not only audible sounds but ultrasonic sounds and things as well. So there's, oh yeah, um, oh yeah, the, the whole range, including radar. Right. That, you know, yep. that's just a spect- spectral deal. You know. Uh, mm-hmm. me- meaning. It's all with, just uh, waves. <laughs> yep, it's all just waves. So know the anyway, waves. I, I love I love that business, but I found it uh, kind of related to what we're talking about here. And yeah, uh, yeah it's fascinating and, stuff. It really is. So, so uh, anyway, so, let, let me kind of change the topic here a little bit. Uh, we just got a new OS. We I'm did, but why don't we save that? Um, I'm going to have to cut us short a little bit today. We've been going for about an hour, and I have a dental appointment. So um, oh, so we're going okay. to have to kind of wrap it up a little bit today, and we can come back and talk about uh, Mac OS 11, which is uh, the first time they've changed their number in... Uh, you know, a decade and a half, almost two decades. So, uh, yeah, what's going on with Mac OS would be interesting conversation to have. Um, you know, we'll have a little more time to, uh, to, to talk about it too, in terms of playing with it. Cause I don't know about you. I tried to download it on day of, and they said that it was supposed to be up and, you know, they had a lot of download problems. I wasn't able to download it till about seven o'clock Pacific coast time. Oh, is that right? And well, that's, I did and that's mine, 7 PM. Uh, I, I did mine in the evening. It was eight o'clock here, so that must have been five o'clock your time. Uh, yeah, and see, I and couldn't get it then. It, it it took me an entire hour mm-hmm. before I had it. It finally booted up. It yeah, was earlier big, in the day, I got to where it said it was a hundred percent done, and then it failed and wouldn't install, and I had to start over. And oh, uh, and I and I tried it on and off throughout the day, and uh, it wasn't until you know seven p.m. that it was able to actually start downloading. And getting the files, and and uh, and then it took me probably forty minutes to download. Being on uh, the East Coast, I think I was probably assisted by having a lot of people going to bed 
uh, or you know being busy in the for their evening at that time right and or just saying this is too early to try that first day you know yeah uh, but anyway uh, yeah they, they well and you never know they, which which server you're actually attaching to you know they've got a big server server farm there in in the carolinas so i mean you might say. be yeah you might be real close well, to where you're downloading i could be further away here in southern california oh i can i can drive to mine in 20 minutes I mean, yeah. and that's taking city city streets. I mean, Maiden, North Carolina, is an enormous apple facility with a big uh, 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 sun energy farm all around it. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, solar. A, so anyway, my my computer's going to die real quickly. So uh, yep. So we'll wrap it up. Thanks for joining us, and we'll be back next Monday on Generation Tech. I'm Todd Brinker. Jack Brinker. Mm-hmm.